From Chicago, Illinois, UTR Media presents Green Room Door. Hey guys, I'm Dave Trouts, and UTR Media wants you to rediscover your soul connection to music. And I know one of the ways that can happen is uh, just discovering more about the artists, about their hearts, about their lives, about the inspiration behind the art. And that's what this podcast wants to explore, because we want to take you beyond the venue, beyond backstage, into the green room door. We want to give you unparalleled access to some of the musicians and songwriters who are making some of the most meaningful music today. And this is the debut, episode number one. You're here. So glad you're joining us. And just to let you know, we are not new to this. Um, many of you have been following along our journey. Uh, I hosted and produced the Under the Radar radio show for over eight years and have interviewed dozens upon dozens of some of the best songwriters today and in fact uh we only had so much bandwidth to share that those interview clips and so some of the footage never even saw the light of day this platform is going to actually allow us to share some of the interview clips that are still relevant today which will be fun and we'll also be weaving in some brand new interview conversations with artists in the weeks to come for this show, we're going to be featuring two artists. So in the second half, we'll be talking with legendary CCM artist Steve Taylor. And in the first half of the show, I knew when this show was just an idea that on episode one, I wanted our very first featured artist to be Sir Eric Peters. Children hide themselves behind is one of the artists that I've interviewed the most over the last nine years. So there's actually a lot of audio clips that have never aired before. Um, And so I decided to just kind of uh, weave through a few different interviews and I cherry picked some things that didn't get aired, um, including some Q&As from listeners. And uh, what's it called when somebody sticks their head in your picture? Oh, yeah. A photo bomb. So, but Eric's son Ellis audio bombs the interview that we're having. He hijacks it and takes it over, and it's some priceless audio that has no one's ever heard before. So, we're going to share that right here today. We'll start with the conversation from late 2015 that happened pretty much in a green room. At least it was a private room backstage at the Village Church in Sugar Grove, Illinois. And uh, I, I started the conversation by talking to Eric about Valentine's Day. And if you don't know much about Eric, this answer pretty much sums up his personality. Here we go. This is hard. We I've never really celebrated Valentine's because I think it's a, a made-up holiday. There you go. I said it on the air. 
Um, hate mail coming my way, right? It's a made-up holiday, people. Okay, not everybody agrees with that, but I get it. Um, so for that reason, I've never really, I don't really feel like I have many memories. I guess the only thing I remember about Valentine's Day is being in uh, grade school and where you you exchanged the lollipops and the little cards thing or the cards with the lollipops stuck in them with your classmates and hopefully you get one from the girl that you really dug or the boy. I choo-choo choose you. <laughs> Free CD to anybody that can name that quote. I choo-choo choose you. <laughs> Which is everybody. I know. <laughs> okay, don't, no free CD. All, all taxes, and all taxes, and all applicable fees. Void in all 50 states. <laughs> uh, you know, it seems like um, some of your songwriting could be compared to some of the greats from the 80s, 90s, like someone like Mark Mark Hurd. You know, do, is that true? Do you, um, are, were there songwriters in that vein that really uh, helped develop you as an artist? I heard of Mark Hurd through uh, Vigilantes of Love, Bill Maloney, because I was a VOL fan. That was how I, in I was introduced to Mark's music. Um, but yeah, just uh, that that time in my life, this would have been in the mid mid nineties for me, was the the time I was introduced to this under the radar type music, Vigilantes of Love, people that in Mark and um I'm I'm blanking on other people, but uh, folks that were just writing this very genuine and honest stuff that was real they were really good well written crafted songs uh and that was that was a real turning point in sort of my life my faith and and certainly my songwriting that i realized oh okay so i'm allowed to be vulnerable on 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 paper and cd i can write these things out um, and that's okay. There's room for it in the world. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not an, a Mark Hurd aficionado, but there, he wrote some amazing stuff. Great mandolin player too. So on uh, Far Side of the Sea, you, you have a song that's based on Judas Iscariot's. T tell us about that. Yeah, the Judas song is called Nobody. Am I willing to be, willing to be a nobody? Am I rushing to see, am I rushing to see a nobody? And again, it was one of those where uh, the, the sort of the book portion of it was a photo of the sky and there was uh, vapor trails chemical trails whatever you want to call them you know the airplanes their exhaust or whatever that stuff is up in the sky and for whatever reason seeing that seeing those I mean they were all over the sky and seeing them made me think of Judas uh, you, know, you know the villain the Iscariot the villain of the story and I for it, it just he popped into my mind 
and uh, I started thinking about him and his story and how he, you know, he followed Jesus um, for, you know, those three years uh, living, you know, beneath the poverty line of even the day, having no possessions, and all the while hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom that he would rule in, rule over the realm. And and I think Judas, in his mind, believed that was going to be an actual f- tangible kingdom, and it was going to be immediate, like within his lifetime. And when, I guess at dawn, this is all me extrapolating, putting myself in, in Judas's head here, um, but... When it dawned on Judas that what Jesus was actually talking about uh, was not what he was expecting, what he was thinking was going to happen, that the kingdom, Jesus was not going to sit physically on a throne in Jerusalem, you know, um, during his lifetime. I think the, you know, this, that idea that he was, Judas would finally, he, you know, he'd get his comeuppance, you know, he would uh, receive this nice, Cush job and the new administration, and he would finally be somebody. He'd go from being a nobody to being somebody. And so, when all that unraveled, and you realized that that was not what was going to happen, that was not the kingdom Jesus was talking about. That it just sort of wrecked his world. And you know, then he went and did what he what he did. And it's not you know the song is not intended to be an apology for Judas, but it is. Uh, written out of empathy and this idea that I think we all like I'm I'm in my middle ages and I'm battling you know dreams you know uh, unmet dreams you know that this idea that I started writing music 20 years ago thinking and wanting to be quote-unquote somebody and here I am many years later with a family to take care of and, and still doing it because I love it and feel like I need to be doing it I ought to be doing it but, you know, this is my career, you know. By the world's standards, you know, I'm, I'm nobody. So I, I I do relate to that, you know, and just, I, I don't know, I just, just my take on Judas. can uh, find that whole song called Nobody on his album Far Side of the Sea. And uh, you can get all things Eric Peters. Uh, the book that he mentioned, uh, all his albums, as well as art. He does amazing physical art. That's all at ericpeters.net. Uh, we transport in time now back uh, almost five years ago to November of 2012. Uh, We sat in the studio with him, and for a portion of the interview, we fielded questions from listeners, and his answers were insightful and funny and profound, just like you'd expect, and I'm glad we get to share this piece of the interview, finally, with you. Um, All right, so let's do these uh, listener questions. (laughs) 
Listener questions with Eric Peters and Dave Trout. Okay. Um, Matt in the UK wants to know, how would you defend yourself against a squid attack? (laughs) Not very well. (laughs) I have no earthly idea. Hold on. Can I have a second to think about this? I mean, I wish I was I wish I was quick-witted. I was like, I don't know what to say. Matt, I would I would, if if a squid attacked me, I would find this guy named Matt in the UK. <laughs> and he would he would come and defend me with his uh with his bare knuckles. Nice. <laughs> awesome. All right. Yes. They're they're not all that goofy. Okay. Okay. Jessica in Georgia wants to know what is your favorite song that you have written? Ooh. That's a good question. Honestly, I think one of my favorite songs that I still uh just love playing um is a song called These Three Remain from an album I did in 2003 called uh, the the album is Miracle of Forgetting. Um, and that song, I wrote it for uh, our American war veterans at the time. Um, but I just love the imagery uh, that, uh, that happened in that song you know, using faith, hope, and love. And I just, uh, I just still enjoy, enjoy very much playing it and sharing it with people. Great. All right, we have sort of the flip coin to that. What is your least favorite song? Daryl in California asks, um, has there ever been a song that you wrote that then looked back later and said, wow, I wrote that? And I can't, I guess Does I get... you mean negatively? I can't really tell. Should we answer it both ways? Let's answer it both ways. That's a good idea. Because I can't really tell if he's like, wow, I wrote that? Or, or more like... What? I wrote that? Yeah. So it could be taken both ways. Oh, man. Uh, I look, you know, kind of anything early on in my career was, uh, especially that was recorded. There's plenty of songs that were not recorded that we won't get into here. (laughs) But there's... um, I can think of a couple, uh, or at least I can think of at least one that um, from an early album um, that kind of like yeah I I could not write that song right now uh, now. So. Do you care to share the title? the the song The song title is for you and me. It's I, I was in a duet years ago in my early career music life. We were called Ridgely, and our very first EP in the year of nineteen ninety five. Um, it was our first recording thing, and it, the yeah. song was for you and me, and it was the first song. Yeah. So just getting going, and yes, sir. Yeah, that's good. So, uh, any songs that you look back on your career and go like, "Wow, I wrote that. That's great." Um, I mean, immediately I think of the old year on uh, the new record birds of relocation uh i i think of immediately of that song 
because I, I don't know that I knew what I was writing at that point. Um, I knew it was, I wrote it early in 2010. Um, and I just don't know with what that song is saying and sort of the, the expression of, you know, uh, take that 2009. Yeah. Um, I don't really know that I understood the gravity of what I was kind of getting at. Yeah. Um, because that led to a, a whole record of sort of rebirth in a way for me and kind of waking up again and coming back to life. Yeah. Um, and I, I, uh, I love playing that song. Um, and I think it's resonated with a whole bunch of people. And uh, I'm sort of, I, I don't know, I'm just sort of astounded how the spirit and music and the mystery of, of it all kind of works together because I clearly had no idea um, uh, what I was expressing at that point um, would uh, kind of uh, what it would uh, evolve into and, and kind of uh, uh, grow into as far as this record and the theme of it. Yeah, yeah. Ralph in Montana wants to know... Hey, Ralph. What artists or bands are your biggest influences? Yeah. I think on a... I, I love... You know, my friends that uh, I, I have in Nashville uh, make some pretty pretty darn great music uh, and are very creative folks. Um, Andy Osinga, his new record, the more... I've been on tour with him, on the road with him, and uh, his new record, the more I hear it, the more it uh, astounds me and how deep a depth it is. Um, um, and so, uh, and then I, I like folks, uh, there's a guy named David Mead who it's sort of uh, musical injustice that he's not a household name. Uh, just the incredible melody writer, great voice. Um, love his stuff. Um um, there's a band called the Weepies uh, that I just love, love, love what they do. That's a husband and wife, and they write these sad lyrics with these really insanely catchy melodies that are uh, sort of poppy and they're just wonderful. Um, and I, uh, you know, and uh, John Foreman and what he does with Switchfoot and the way he approaches a song and how he looks at uh, a song and. Uh, what he wants it to do uh, for for people, I just really love what he does. Good, good names. That's good. Um, all right, last question of the whole interview. Oh. Dave in Minnesota asks: If you had a DeLorean time machine and you could go back one decade, what would what advice would the Eric Peters of 10 years ago give yourself or what what would the <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm trying to add my own words in here and I shouldn't have done that okay so if you could go back in time 10 years uh, what would the Eric Peters of today what advice would you give to the Eric Peters of 10 years ago hmm gosh <laughs> um, I think this Eric would have told that Eric um, 
that your career can be a you're not a failure your career can be a commercial failure it can be in the eyes of most everybody to appear to be a failure uh, but you can still have a career um, and that your worth is not in your career your value um, and to um, and to to sort of uh, rest in that um, God is good he will take care of you and uh, the music that you write um, though it's for a small audience uh, that audience uh, will be very loyal to you and that's what I would tell Eric nice and I'd also tell him to write monster ballads <laughs> that's right carry on my Eric Peters Well done, sir. Good neighbor, lawn care. <laughs> okay, we're not quite done with Eric, or at least Eric's family, because we're going to rewind the clock a little bit farther, back to February of 2012. And uh, I was in Nashville on a business trip, and I interviewed Eric in his home. And his oldest son, Ellis, who was five years old at the time, audio bombed our interview. <laughs> He hijacked it. He took it over. And little did we know that the topic at hand was going to be Ellis's love life. <laughs> Here's that clip. Neither of our boys are in, in full-time school yet, so they're here. And, uh, man, I have them for, you know, a couple of hours, and I'm going bonkers. And So she's an amazing lady, um, ever, ever patient. Uh, she's not perfect by any means, but really patient, um, takes care of us. She has three little children to take care of. That would include her husband. All right, that's great. We don't have three children. That was the joke. I was including myself in that. Because you were the children. Yeah. Sometimes I act like a child. Well... My favorite girlfriend is Lily. Oh, really? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Lily. So, she has a lot of dollies and what is that movie? The Beast and the Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. I think that's her favorite movie. That seems a little more like. Kind of the princess route, like probably a lot of girls like that one the most. Yeah. Yeah. Is she your favorite girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. Is she pretty? Yeah. Well, that's good. Now, here's a really important question. Is she nice? Yes. Oh, really? She treats other people good? Yeah. That's very important. Yes, it is. And what else? I don't know. What else? One time... She told me she watched part um she watched half of Star Wars and and she didn't like it. <gasps> what? Cuz it was Do you think that a lot of girls think that? Cuz they think Star Wars is like a boys movie? 
You think girls like Star Wars? Yeah, they think it's like a... They think it's a boy movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what are the other good qualities of this girlfriend you speak of? Well, the good movies is she likes Donald Duck. We have Donald Duck, and she likes that movie. Mm -hmm. Donald she Duck is a great character. Is, is Donald Duck your favorite Disney character, or do you have a different one that's your favorite? Um, let me think here. Woody. Wow. Not many people know that they make the Disney-Pixar connection like you just did. Woody, excellent. One time, Lily... This is your girlfriend, right, Lily? Yeah. Went to the playground with me. One time, Bennett came there. He's my best friend. Mm -hmm. And he, we like a lot of battle stuff. And one time, invited Bennett to the playground. And we always invite Bennett for a long time mm -hmm. to the playground. Now, does Lily get along with Bennett pretty good? Yeah. They're friends? Yeah. That's good. Was he, he wasn't trying to move, move in on, on you? No. On your girlfriend? You don't think he was trying to steal her from you, right? No. We all just... But I don't think Lily wants to play battle. Yeah. She always plays baby. We play, me and Bennett play a lot of critters. Mm -hmm. We made up critters. Yeah. That sounds fun. What does that involve? Do well, you like critters, or are you people that are catching them? Or we're it? the good guys. We're superheroes. Oh, okay. And Lily doesn't play it very much, but sometimes she plays it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you have it. Uh, just like that, Ellis Peters takes over the show. And now you know who is going to be the podcaster of the future. Yeah. Um, Ellis is, I think he's now 11 years old. He was five years old in that clip. Definitely had the gift of gab back then. Um, and, uh, and Eric Peters is uh, our first official guest on Green Room Door. Now, uh, we'd love for you to check out our other UTR Media podcasts. Uh, we have the Gourmet Music Podcast featuring some of the best music being made today. Uh, we also have Good Patron, uh, which is hosted by Garrett Godfrey and focuses on some of the best uh, or some of the most recent crowdsourcing campaigns for Christian music, as well as some tips and ideas on how to support independent music even better. Um, we also have a couple of more podcasts launching in the very near future. So if you stumble upon any of these on iTunes or Stitcher or on our website, we'd love for you to rate and review them because they help put the show in front of more eyes as uh, they're you know, suggesting podcast people. So thank you for folks who are willing to do that here on week number one. We're going to take a quick break. 
And when we come back, we will be hearing from uh, a veteran in the Christian music world, as well as a, uh, a movie director, um, songwriter, a, a producer, the very talented and versatile Steve Taylor will be our guest in the second half on Green Room Door. Support for this episode is made in part by the 2017 InterVarsity Press book, Movies Are Prayers, which reminds me, I talked to a young man named Dakota about movies recently. So Dakota, do you mind me asking you how old you are? I know you're a young whippersnapper. Uh, I'm about 20 years old, about to be 21. All right. What is your favorite movie of all time? Favorite movie of all time would be Saving Private Ryan. Very cool. I love that. Um, what do you think about the idea that movies are prayers? I can see that going along with each other because movies in general give out subtle messages mm -hmm. that you might have to watch once or twice to actually pick up on. With Save a Private Ryan, you got, um, it's a military movie, war movie, so the prayer of going home, save your, yeah. and courage is yeah. all there. Yeah, that could be a prayer of yearning, could also be a prayer of obedience. Yeah. Dakota is right. Movies do more than tell a good story. They often function in the same way as prayers, communicating deep longings to God in the form of lament, praise, joy, confession, and more. Movies are prayers, written by Josh Larson, film critic and editor of Think Christian, and published by InterVarsity Press, available now at ivpress.com or wherever you buy books. Hey there. If this is your first time checking out any of the podcasts over here at UTR Media, I want to say thanks for stopping by. I want to give you a quick rundown, though, because there's a whole lot more to discover. So, release date will chronicle the mostly untold story of what happens before a release date, the making of an album from concept to creation. Gourmet Music Podcast will have the same flavor as the old Under the Radar show, with maybe a few new ingredients added in. Green Room Door gives you access with one-on-one -on -one interviews with songwriters. Good Patron will feature current crowdfunding campaigns and tips and ideas on how to support the music you love. Side Note will draw from real-world experiences of artists to swim in the deep end of the creative process. Welcome to the all-new UTR Media. back to Green Room Door. I'm Dave Trout, and our guest for the second half is a legend in CCM. Uh, many people know him uh, mostly for his 80s and 90s music career. We're talking about Steve Taylor. Uh, he went on to direct films. Uh, he produced lots of albums, wrote amazing songs, including huge hits like this one. Yeah, Shine. Yeah, one of the biggest songs of all time in Christian music history. In fact, it was number nine on the CCM list of the top 100 Christian music songs of all time. And Steve Taylor co-wrote it and co-produced it. 
Yeah, pretty big stuff. He's a very talented guy. And if you go back to the Christian music scene of the 1980s, you can't help but find Steve Taylor everywhere. Uh, Of course, you had Michael and Amy and Petra and Carmen. But right there in the mix, right there uh, in the top 20 countdown, right there on the cover of CCM magazines was Steve Taylor. Well, that's what Steve Taylor sounded like back in 1987. And there's, of course, a 90s version of Steve's music. Uh, He then went on to found the record label Squint and help the young careers of bands like Sixpence None the Richer, uh, Water Deep, and Burlap to Cashmere. He continued to produce a lot of albums and then took a hiatus from his music career to pursue filmmaking maybe most notably for directing the movie Blue Like Jazz and uh, also directing and starring in the best Kickstarter video I've ever seen ever. Then in 2014, after nearly two decades of not making his own music, he made his musical comeback under the banner Steve Taylor and the Perfect Foil, They released the album Goliath, and it was named the number one album of the year by the UTR Critics Panel. Shortly after that, in January 2015, I had a chance to interview Steve. We featured him on a podcast, but about half of that interview never aired. And so you get to hear um, footage from that interview that's never been heard before. Here's my chat with Steve Taylor. So growing up on your music... Uh, throughout the 80s I always considered you kind of a a gutsy artist one that wasn't afraid to uh, kind of take the church to task um, tackle even controversial issues um, and do it all in your own unique brand of satire so do you feel that the church got it like they got your music or did you feel mostly misunderstood as an artist you know, I never set out to be controversial. Um, I was writing songs about things that I cared about and uh, using satire to uh, hopefully get the point across in a way that wouldn't sound too preachy or um, finger pointy, I guess. And, uh, you know, some people like satire and some people don't. Uh, there were elements of the church that didn't, and there were other elements that did. Um, probably the music appealed certainly more to a younger audience, um, but it also sort of depended on uh, your interpretation of the gospel, I guess. Um, uh, I never had any problems uh, writing songs that were critical of the church. I have felt like... Uh, uh, it was better when it came from inside than outside, uh, but certainly some of my fellow Christians had problems with that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I probably go through times when I 
would feel more misunderstood than others. Uh, certainly there were songs that uh, courted controversy, and I probably should have realized that better when I wrote them. But there were other times when I was really blindsided. Uh, you know, the album cover for the album, I predict 1990, uh, a lot of people thought it looked like a tarot card, and that actually really surprised me uh, since my wife had designed the cover. Um, so controversies that uh, were based on some sort of principles, well, that was always fine with me. Controversies over dumb stuff tended to bother me. Huh. Nice. Wow, very good. Um, all right, let's let's move on to your newer music. Um, I love the song In Layers, and I was wondering if you can unpack that one. Tell us a bit about uh, the writing and creation of that song. You were the first in line, the first to volunteer. Now you're the last to learn, old saying that I think Nirvana ended up quoting in one of their lyrics something about just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you and um, uh, he uh, wanted to write a song about uh, I don't know what it's like to be in a situation where uh, where you're maybe you've been numbed are lulled into thinking things are one way you find out they're another way and uh you know you decide you're not going to take it anymore because for the most part i think uh people just settle too easily uh they lose their idealism too quickly uh they find out that uh um uh doing bad things can uh achieve uh good short-term results and uh um you know the bible talks about uh all these questions about why do the wicked prosper and all that went into the song in layers um it's it's a pretty uh it's a pretty dark song thematically but uh, i think it ends at least on a note of hope I, I'm kind of the same way. I'm continually depressed by uh, how uh, how money seems to uh, control most decision making and uh, seem to be uh, the end that most people work toward, and uh, how many things it controls. Um, and yet, I still remain uh, uh, idealistic that. Uh, principal people can uh change that mm. yeah what are some of the things that inspire you during the songwriting process 
I really like uh, a great melody uh, inside of a great track. So our band tended to start with recording the music. We typically had no lyrics going into anything. It was it all just started with a a great melody. Lots of times, Peter would be the one who brought a great melody. We'd work it as a band until we felt like uh, a great track was there to support it. And then I'd take that uh, track and uh, typically go for long drives on a, a roadway outside of Nashville called the Natchez Trace, which runs from Nashville to Natchez, Mississippi. It's just a long, winding parkway. And uh, man, I've never gone all the way to Natchez, but I've gone a long ways, three or four hours at a time just driving that parkway and listening to the track and thinking about lyrics and uh, singing or speaking ideas into some sort of voice recorder. Um, it's a great way to write lyrics. Well, one of the things that's uh, really cool about talking to someone like you who has worn so many hats and has done so many things and been around the block so many times is um, we have in our community a lot of uh, budding songwriters, folks who are either just starting a career or just pursuing songwriting as a hobby or as uh, maybe through their church. But what advice would you have for the up and coming kind of DIY artists that are listening right now? You know, we live in a great age where uh, when I was first starting out, it was really expensive to record and uh, even more expensive to try to make uh any kind of uh, movie, um, and the price of entry for uh, audio recording in particular has gone to where anybody can do it. Um, that's not always a good thing, but uh, I love the demo democratization of the process. Um, and uh, so when budding artists come to me to ask advice, usually I just tell them, you know, you got no excuse. Go, go make stuff, and you'll find out if you're any good at it. And uh, um, and if you are, the more you the more you make stuff, you know, the better your chances are of eventually making something good. Yeah, Steve Taylor is awesome. That's just uh, some of our conversation with him. If you want to hear more of our Q&A, um, you can go uh, check out our Under the Radar radio show archives, um, which uh, we did a Steve Taylor episode uh, featuring him and his music in 2015. In fact, I think it was uh, the first uh, quarter of 2015. You can find that on uh, the iTunes Under the Radar archives, podcast archives. So um, we are excited about uh, what this show has in store for us. Uh, sometimes you're going to hear a couple artists like today. Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll have one artist kind of featured the whole, um, the whole show. And uh, so we're just going to mix it up as we go along. And we're looking forward to conversations in just the near future with folks like... Um, Fernando Ortega, John Trost, uh, Christopher Williams, Andrew Greer, John Tibbs, and more. So uh, good stuff is on the way. Um, 
I'm not going to give you a whole lot of information about where to go because our website is changing real soon. Um, eventually, in uh, mid-September, the new place to go will be utrmedia.org. That's going to have all of our uh, information um, on podcasts, video projects, blogs, and album downloads. Um, again, that's utrmedia.org. Thank you so much for being a part of this debut episode of Green Room Door. I'm Dave Trout. I'll talk to you next time. And don't forget that Green Room Door is a production of UTR Media, an independent, nonprofit, listener supported ministry. You can get more info at utrmedia.org. Coming soon.